0: Once you have Psalm 19, put a marker there and go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 and verse 16. Well, let's start reading in verse um, 11. This is the foundation for our study. The Bible says, that He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till... And so, this next verse is the verse for our series and for our year, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us as we study your word this morning. And Lord, help us to know what our part is, is in engaging the world for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, our theme for this year is to engage. And what we want to do is we want to engage Scripture, our family, Our neighbors, our friends, the culture, and then the world. How are we going to do that? Well, the only way we can do that as a church is for every one of us to do our part. Isn't that right? Uh, These cogs that you see up here, the one on the end isn't going to turn if the one in the middle is not turning. That's the idea, that we are fitly joined together and we're all doing our part. We're beginning this series with this understanding. I must engage Scripture. I must engage Scripture. How are we going to do this? And why should we do it? I want you all to think about something. There are four needs that every individual has. I heard Ravi Zacharias say this years ago. There are four needs that everybody has. Four questions. How did I get here? Question of origins. Why am I here? Question of meaning or question of purpose. What about suffering? Why is there suffering in the world? And then... What happens after I die? Question of ultimate destiny. Those are the four questions that any system must answer. If you're going to give someone a reason for life, a reason to be happy, you better have some answers for that. And, you know, I feel like that in many ways, church became a place where you're brought in, you're told what to do and what not to do. You sing some songs and you go home. It reminds me of Harry Truman. He was known for being uh, very, uh, using very few words. It doesn't sound like a politician, does it? But he was asked, he went to church, and they said, uh, what did the preacher preach on? He said, sin. What did he say about it? He's against it. <laughs> you know, I think there's probably more to the Christian life than that. What do you think? But I think what has happened, and, and I think you'll testify to this, What has happened in many churches is it becomes entertainment. You come in and there's a light show that happens. You've got to make sure that the walls and the ceiling are black and that you you have a a concert. And then the the minister is going to stand up and give a little talk for about 15 minutes on how you can have a better life. Your best life now. (laughs) Now, how many of you recognize that's what church has become in many places? There are other places where church is this. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Yeah, and you look back, and the whole church is going <laughs> <laughs> so somewhere in between a dry reading of the text and something that where you, you can't find scriptures within a hundred miles, somewhere has to be true biblical Christianity. What we were doing in the, in the class this morning, we we're all together and we we're all answering a question. The answer is, what does the Bible claim for itself? And so the groups all got together and we had a leader and they're all going through the scriptures, finding an answer of why the, what the Bible claims for itself. Do you know that that's what we're supposed to do? <laughs> that we as believers, we are supposed to interact with the Word of God. You, you look at the news and you look at the things that are going on and... There's just trouble. You know, and I look out and there are people that you're sick or you have loved ones who are sick. Um, You're you're trying to raise your kids and life is becoming so busy. Um, The finances are difficult. Some of you are looking for jobs. And there, there are so many different issues that come into our lives. What is the answer for all of that? Scripture has the answer for every one of those situations. The Bible is what gives us hope. In every one of these situations. So, what we have to learn to do and what we have to make ourselves do is to engage Scripture. I want to ask you a question. Don't answer this, this is just between you and the Lord. How much time did you spend in the Bible this week? How much time did you spend in the Bible this week? Were you immersed in Scripture or were you immersed in the world? Now, we live in the world. How many of you recognize we live in the world? Now, some of you don't. It's just kind of a little odd. But the rest of us, we, we live in the world, okay? This is where we are. The question is, are we of that world? And we asked this question a couple of weeks ago when we launched this. Are you engaged with the world? Or are you entangled with the world? What is the thing that's going to keep us right? The Word of God. The Scriptures. And remember my goal as pastor of this church more than anything else is to teach you how to take off the world's glasses and put on biblical glasses to where you make every decision and you interpret everything you see through the lenses of Scripture. Well, we can't do that if we don't know what the Bible says. Isn't that right? So now, what I want us to do is I want us to go to Acts or to uh, uh, Psalms chapter 19, the 19th Psalm, and I want us to see what God says that the Scriptures will do for us. Let's start reading in verse 1. The Bible says, "...the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork." All right, so what is this saying? When you look up at the sky, you see God. And you see that God made it. So the Bible says. Isn't it interesting that's one of the main things that Satan wants to attack? Belief in the Creator. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. What does that mean? The sky is above everyone. The stars are above everyone. The sun, moon, stars, all of that, the canopy of space, everyone sees that, and it gives a message. It gives a message of God. Then look what the Bible says. Their line, in verse 4, their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath He set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of His chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. You know what's interesting? When that sun goes down in fiery red at the end of the day, that is a picture of Jesus Christ dying His bloody death. But you know what the good news is? The next day that sun rises in the morning, and it's fiery, and it's showing how Jesus Christ is going to return when He comes. Keep your place in, Ma- in Psalms. Go to Malachi chapter 4. That's the last, verse of the last chapter, uh-huh. sorry, the last book of the Old Testament. Last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. To make sure everybody's engaging the scriptures. Do you have a Bible you can look at? If you don't, there should be one in the pew in front of you. The Bible says, Malachi 4:1. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. I like this right here, verse 2. But unto you that fear my name shall the sun of righteousness arise with healing in His wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. All right? Look at the next verse, what it says we're going to do. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. In the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. That, again, is one of those verses I've never seen on a pillow. Right? How many of you have ever seen that verse on the wall at the Christian bookstore? It's not there. But that's a promise that we have. That's a promise that we have, that Jesus Christ... He died, but He's coming back. And when He comes back, He's going to rise and He's going to be the Son of Righteousness who comes with healing in His wings for those who believe in Him. And this is at the end of the tribulation period, of course. But I'll tell you what, those who have rejected Him, they are going to be burned up. Is that what the text says? Do you know what happens every morning and every evening? There's a sermon about who Jesus Christ is in the heavens. That's what the Bible says. He's the bridegroom. He's the bridegroom. Look at verse 6. His going forth is from the end of heaven and His circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. I'm just telling you, Jesus Christ, He sees everything. He knows everything. He knows those who are His and He knows those who are not. And He is coming back. Do you all believe that? How many think we need to engage Scripture? Now look at what the text says about the Bible. For the rest of the passage, this is what the Bible says about nature. It's the revelation of nature. And we could spend a lot of time on that, but we're not today. Next, we're going to see the revelation of the Scriptures, and then we're going to see what it does in the life of the individual. So look what the Bible says about the Scriptures. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. I'm sorry, we're back in Psalm 19. Everybody there? Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The law of the Lord. What does the law do? The law shows us where to stop. When you convert something, you change it. Is that right? You convert currency. You're changing it from pesos to dollars. You're changing it from uh, marks to francs. You're changing it. You're changing it when you convert something. What the Bible says the law does is it converts the soul. Look at the book of Romans chapter 7. And we are going to be in Psalms, so don't, don't lose that. Uh, go to Re- Romans chapter 7. If we're going to engage Scripture, there have to be some things that we understand. Now look at Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came... Sin revived and I died. What is that what is this saying? The law is perfect. The word of God is perfect. When I compare my life, when I compare my behavior to the word of God, all of a sudden I understand my own sinfulness. And what does that do? That causes me, that gives me the desire to change. How many of you want to be more like Christ? What is it that's going to make you more like Christ? Watching other people? No, no. Reading the Word of God. Understanding what the law does. Go back to, to uh, Psalms. This law, look at what it says about it. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is what? Perfect. Do you realize what an amazing thing it is to have the perfect Word of God, you know, if you talk to one of our engineers, anything that they design, they would tell you it's not perfect. It's not perfect. Do you know what they have to make it? They have to make it within certain tolerances. What are those tolerances? What are they, uh, Ty? What are they? Imperfections, errors, tolerances. The Bible's perfect. When God does something, it is absolutely perfect. You want to know something that's amazing? Your salvation is perfect. How many of you are saved today? You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. That salvation, the Bible says, is complete. It is perfect. Why? Because your salvation is based on the Word of God. Do you know what the Bible does? The Bible raises our standards. It raises our standards. If I compare myself to someone else, there are people in here that you all are better Christians than I am. Well, I'm not going to compare myself to you. I'll compare myself to Nick Arling. I'll feel much better about myself. (laughs) It's interesting that we generally don't compare ourselves to people that we know are doing better than us, right? That's the way that we are. When we compare ourselves to the scripture, all of a sudden we see what's perfect. And you ready for this? That's what God wants from us is perfection. How are you doing? Oh, no. How many of you felt that way right there? Oh, no. You know how I'm doing? I'm perfect. I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When God looks at me, He sees the righteousness of His Son. My salvation is absolutely perfect. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. My salvation is perfect. Is that awesome? Do you know what your eternity is going to be? Perfect. If you're saved. The the Bible says, I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. It's going to be perfect. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. What did he say in the middle of that? In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. God is preparing a place for us. And you know what that place is? It's absolute perfection. It's absolutely perfect. I want you to have confidence that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Everything that God does is right. His ways are righteousness. His judgments are true. Everything He does is absolutely right. And He's given all of that to you. He's given all of it to me. That's what we have. That's why we need to engage Scripture. The law, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Now, I want you to see that, converting the soul. The Bible says that God breathed into man the breath of life and he became a living soul. A living soul. You have a soul. If you are not born again, your soul must be converted. Converted from what? From death unto life. From death unto life. Uh, That's what the Word of God does. It converts us. Are you saved today? How many of you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? You're sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior. If you died today, you know that you're going to heaven. Heaven's your home. Jesus Christ is your King. You have eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? Where does that come from? That comes from the Scriptures. That is a converted soul. Now, I'll tell you what. Do you know what happens after you get saved? How many of you, after you got saved, all of a sudden... You found out stuff you were doing was wrong. That's what the Bible does. The Bible changes us. All right. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting us. soul. Look at the next thing that the Bible does. The Bible says, "...the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple." The testimony of the Lord is sure. Now, what's the difference between the law of the Lord being perfect and the testimony of the Lord being Sure. Let's try to figure out what this testimony is. Look at Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10. Revelation 19:10. The Bible says, "And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, "See thou do it not, I am thou fe- thy fellow servant." and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Now look at what he says. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What is this talking about? So hold your place in Revelation, but back in in Psalm 19, the Bible says the testimony of the Lord is sure. What is the testimony? It's the prophecy. It's the prophecy. So all that the Bible prophesies, it is sure. So, when the Bible says something is going to happen, do you know what's going to happen? What the Bible said was going to happen. Its testimonies are sure. Go back to Revelation. Look at Revelation chapter 11. You'll get a demonstration of this. These are the two witnesses. Dalton Robertson and I did a Y Baptist conference at Cleveland Baptist Church. And uh, I went back there. I've been back there several times since then. And the folks there call us the two witnesses. (laughs) This older gentleman who was getting ready to sing, he came up to me and he said, hey, you're one of the two witnesses, aren't you? And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I don't think so. But here, here, look at what it says, verse 6. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their what? You all see that? In the days of their what? And have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Look at verse 7. And when they shall have finished their... What's it say? Yeah. Testimony. Testimony. There in, when the Bible is talking about in, in uh, Psalm 19. The testimony of the Lord is sure. That everything God has prophesied. It's going to happen. Do you know what that means? That one day soon Jesus Christ is returning. Do you know that we don't know when that is? It could be today. How many of you were saved and, and aware... In the 1970s. Would you raise your hand? How many of you thought that Jesus Christ has come back? There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. The hippie song, remember that? From that movie, right? Thief in the Night. Now, what happened in the 70s was, I think some people took liberties with the Scriptures and tried to use the the newspaper... To prove prophecy. And so, what happened was a lot of those prophecies failed because they weren't from the Bible, they were from the newspaper. And so, I think what's happened now is people are gun shy about talking about the return of Christ. So, I think that we can go through whole weeks without ever even considering that the Lord might return that day. Well, the Bible says, In the time in which you think, the hour in which you think not, the Son of Man cometh. The Bible says very clearly that the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. To meet the Lord, be with Him in the clouds, whatever it says. All right? The Bible is very clear, regardless of my quotation, that Jesus Christ is coming back and we're going to be taken. Is that right? The Bible says very clearly that Israel is going to be brought back into the land. So when you look at the news and you look at what's going on, how many of you think that Israel and Islam are in the news. You can't get away from Bible prophecy. You can't get away from it. But people make mistakes about it. Well, prophecy was fulfilled when Israel went back in the land. How many of you have heard that statement? Really? They're back in the land? They've got like 5% of the land. Are they back in the land yet? No, but they're going to be. They are going to be why? because the testimonies of the Lord are sure. That's what the Bible says. So what other prophecies are there that we need to consider? Well, the Bible tells us the fool has said in his heart there is no God. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. Is that what the Bible says? The Bible says that the way of the transgressor is hard. You want to trans young people, look at me for a minute. You want to transgress. You want to violate God's law. Can I promise you something? Your life will be hard. Your life will be hard. And I don't mean that you're going to work hard. I mean that every day is going to be miserable and a drudgery. Why? Because you've chosen to transgress God's law. The Bible says that He chastens those that are His. You know what God promises you? Do you know what God prophesies? If you're saved and you live in a way that violates the Word of God, He is going to chasten you. Do you know what the Bible word is for that chastening? It's grievous. That's bad. Okay, now I want to do this. All you young people, stand up. Wherever you are, turn around so you can see the rest of the church. How many of you adults have ever experienced God's chastening? Would you raise your hand? Would you say that it's grievous? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You Turn around. What is that? That's prophecy. That's prophecy. Do you know what the Bible says? Despise not prophesying. Listen to it. Why? Because the testimonies of God, the testimony of the Lord, it is sure. What God says about you, it will happen. How many of you believe Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and rose from the dead? Well, the Bible told us He was going to do that. Jesus told us, as Jonas was in the belly heart of the earth three days and three nights, so shall, uh, belly of the whale three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. What happened? He was in the heart of the earth, rose from the dead. What he said he was going to do, he did. His word is sure. Do you know what many of us need to do? We need to engage Scripture to get back to that love of prophecy again. That, that, that expectation. What's God going to do next? What's coming next? What is He going to do? Oh, look, God said this. This is happening. God said this. This is happening. What a wonderful thing. Isn't it wonderful that we're going to a one-world economy? Isn't it wonderful that the dollar is about to be destroyed? Isn't that great? No, (laughs) it's really not great, but it's coming. It's going to happen. What does that tell us? That we should not be shaken by that that we should believe God and we ought to be drawn closer and closer and more into His Word to engage Scripture. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Now look at what it says. Are you all there with me in verse 7? Making wise the simple. Do you know who the wise people are? The people who know what God is going to do. There's wisdom There's wisdom. I know this. Back in the 1970s, when they were prophesying that there was going to be a one-world currency, and we're going to head toward one-world government, and that environmentalism was going to take over, and that private property would go away, how many of you remember that being taught back in the 1970s? And I remember people saying that would never happen. That that will never happen. When was the last time you tried to build something on your property? In Sydney, Ohio. Try to do it in New York City. It's so amazing what's happening. And what are we doing? Well, we are wise. We understand why all of these things are happening and that the time is short and we need to tell people about Jesus Christ. If we're going to engage the world, if we engage Scripture first, we know why we need to engage the world and what we need to engage them with. All right, look at the next verse, verse 8. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Okay, what is a statute? That's a rule. It's a rule. The rules of God rejoice your heart. And again, we said many people thought church was all about do's and don'ts. That's what church was about. It's not. But do you know that Christianity, there are do's and don'ts in Christianity? Love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that right? Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Those are simple statutes that God has given to us. Is that right? Do you know what happens if young people be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers? So, annika, That means don't marry a lost person. Do you know what that will do for you? That will rejoice your heart. When married people, or married people, when saved people, a saved person marries a lost person, do you know what you have in that family? Trouble. The Bible says, "Can two walk together except they be agreed?" Right? Unequally yoked together. Let me show you what unequally yoked together is. You two guys, come up here. All right. I'm the yoke. Now, what the yoke does is the yoke keeps us together. Now, Adam, you go back the other way. We have a problem. We have a problem. It's not going to work. Why? We can't walk together unless we're agreed. So let's say these two guys get married. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's so clear. You have a believer. A believer, the thing that brings a believer joy is following Christ. Would you all agree with that? Does following Christ bring joy to an unbeliever? No. 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 The Bible says those things are foolishness to them. So what are we talking about? The Bible has a statute. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Don't do it. It's like yoking a Great Dane and a Chihuahua. (laughs) It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And what happens when you obey that statute? It rejoices your heart. Laura and I. We're believers. We're saved. We were saved when we met. We had a certain understanding of Scripture when we were married. We chose to raise our children in a certain way. We've chosen to follow the Lord with our lives. And you want to know something? Our life is pretty happy. We have joy. Why? Because the statutes of the Lord, they're right, and they rejoice the heart. How many of you want your children to be happy? then teach them the statutes of God. Teach them what God says, and they will be happy. All right, look at what the Bible says in verse 9. We're still in verse 8. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Let's see how that works. Go to Psalm 119. Look at verse 18. Of course, we know Psalm 119 is all about the Scriptures. remember what our verse said, The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Verse 18, Psalm 119, verse 18. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Do you know what happens when you follow those first portions of the Scriptures? Then you start to understand the commandments of God. And God opens your eyes to understand other things in the scriptures. How many of you wish that you understood the Bible better? Right? That happens as you engage Scripture. You believe Scripture, and God enlightens your eyes, and you start to behold wondrous things out of thy law. All right, look at verse we're still in Psalm one nineteen, look at verse one hundred thirty. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. So, what God does is when you are engaged with the scriptures and you're interacting with the word of God, and the the words enter into you, well, all of a sudden you can see. You have light. You have understanding. You know what's going on in the world. Uh, You know how to raise your children. You know how to work well. You know how to produce. Because the Bible tells us how to do all of those things. It gives understanding to the simple. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Look at what happened when the word of God came into Ephesus. They believed and received Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 16 for the context, Ephesians 1, verse 16. So Paul's talking about his prayer for them and his love for them. And he says, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. What happens when the eyes of your understanding are enlightened? that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints... And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe? According to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under His feet and gave to Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that, fulleth all in all, that filleth all in all. Do you see what happens? When you understand what God has said, all of, the, all of a sudden you understand the world. You understand your place in it. And it's glorious. That's why Paul prayed that those Christians at Ephesus would have their understanding enlightened. That's what the Bible does. The Bible does that. When you engage Scripture, that's the way it happens. Okay, Go back to Psalm 19. This is interesting. The fear of the Lord is clean. Isn't that an odd statement? The fear of the Lord is clean. Do you know there are a lot of people in the world that don't fear God? Look at the text again. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring. How long? Do you know that when you're with God, saved, and without sin... The presence of sin is gone. You are completely clean. Do you know what you're still going to do? You're going to fear Him. That fear of God endures forever. It endures forever. Why? I want you to notice something. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Engage Scripture. Look at verse 28. And fear not them which, which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Now, how many of you think that that verse is talking about reverential awe? Do you know what it's talking about? Fear. Anybody here not want to go to hell? Fear God. Fear God. Now, if you're saved, you're not going to hell. Praise God. But He is the one that has the power to do that. He is the one that has the power to do that. Fear Him. What happens is, that is clean. It's pure. It's righteous. When I am holy, when I am walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, according to the precepts of Scripture, that leads me to fear God more. You know why? Because the harder I try to be holy, the less capable I am. The more I understand what the Bible says about me and what the Bible says about him, the more fear I have of him. Wow. Look at what it says in verse... we are still go back to Psalm 19, verse 9 again. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. What does that mean? Well, what God declares right is right. What God declares wrong is wrong. If God judges something to be holy, it's holy. If God judges something to be uh, sinful, it's sinful. Is that right? And and so the Bible says that that His judgments are true and righteous all together. Look at Isaiah chapter 5. It is interesting that when people are not right with God, they can't stand the preaching of the Word. People are not right with God. They do not want to hear from God. And here's why. Isaiah chapter 5, look at verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. All right? So look at the beginning of that verse. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness. All right, so now, with that in mind, go back to our text. The Bible says the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So, we're going to engage culture. And the culture says that men and women don't need to be married to live together. That's what the culture says. And so there are Christians... Whose children begin doing that. And I've known Christians who allow them to do that in their own house. I'd burn my house down before that would happen. Why? Because God hates it. Because God hates it. That is not good. Amen? It's evil. It's evil. Um, a man with a man. That's evil according to the Word of God. It's an abomination. Our culture is completely against that. It's completely against it. I watched a debate yesterday um, between William Lane Craig and uh, uh, an atheist named Sam Harris. And it was at Notre Dame University. And when they did, had the students come and were asking questions about three of the questions dealt with a Christian's attitude toward homosexuality and the the questioners were all pro-homosexual students at Notre Dame. And so the idea is where broader Christianity is heading is farther and farther and farther into the area of calling evil good. Do you want your kids to be happy? Teach them right and wrong. And teach them to discern right from wrong according to the Scriptures. That happens as we engage Scripture. The reason that churches are not standing for the truth is they are not seeing the culture through the lenses of Scripture. Now, I think one of the reasons that that happens is for many years churches had man-made rules that they called biblical rules. Amen? Man, I remember guys preaching against wire-rimmed glasses. I'm serious. I remember guys preaching that pleated pants were wrong for a man to wear. Those are man-made rules. Would you all agree with that? They're men. It doesn't have anything. The Bible doesn't talk about pleated pants. It doesn't talk about it. And so what happens is, Things are made up, and you teach young people, look, if you wear pleated pants, you're not right with God. Well, then the Bible tells them not to drink alcohol. Well, I've just told the kid that pleaded pants are sinful. It's not in the Bible. Well, then I guess drinking alcohol is not in the Bible. Abstain from strong drink. Is that a pretty clear statement? It's a very... Wine is a, a mocker, and strong drink raging. Stay away from it. It'll ruin your life. But when I have taken man's rules and put them on the same level as God's rules, now I've robbed that child of discernment. Is that right? But what the world has done, what churches have done, is I am going, they say we're going to reject legalism, but what happens then is anything goes. Anything goes. No, no, how about this? How about we understand that the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Amen? So if I'm going to teach you all something, it's going to be from the Scriptures. We'll talk about politics, and then we'll try to understand politics through Scripture. We'll talk about the culture, and we'll try to understand culture through the Scripture. You know, Lady Gaga taking off her clothes at a Yankees game, that's probably not, literally, she got undressed and they had to escort her out. That's probably not a good role model. You all agree with that? Oh, they're just kids. They're just having fun. Yeah. All right. Now look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. What we're going to start to see now is we're going to learn about desire. What are we to desire? We are to desire the law, the testimony, the statutes, the commandment, the fear of the Lord, and the judgments. Look at verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Okay, so uh, Graham Scroggie, a commentator, he said this. He said, gold is, the Bible's telling us, gold is good. Fine gold is better. Much fine gold is better yet. And all the ladies said, amen. All right, I'll put gold in my teeth and all that. All right. Now, but the Bible says this, that the word of God is better than any of that. Now, how many of you believe that? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Now, if I asked how many of you spent time in the Scriptures this week, those of you who... I wonder how many who raised your hand right then have demonstrated your belief by your action. Because we know those things that are valuable to us. Those go in the safe. Those are, those are kept. If, if, if your house... And I know that many of you have had this idea... If the house burns down, I'm going to get this first. Right? You know what's interesting? How many of you would say your pictures? But that's probably one of the first. I think a lot of us would do that. There's nothing in my house that can't be replaced. I mean, hang the kids. I'm going to get the pictures. I mean, it's just, you have more kids. Now, um, <laughs> that's so wrong. Oh, but you all know what I mean. The thing, There are things that are valuable to us. I have a watch that was my grandfather's and, it was, my grandfather helped the Tokyo Raiders, and so it's the same watch that Jimmy Doolittle wore. and So that, that means a lot to me. That's something that's, that's special to me. I value that. Um, other, there are things like that. Uh, my tools. I really like my tools. Don't mess with my tools. I really love my books. There are certain books in there that if, if I had to get out of here fast, that I would try to get those because they couldn't be replaced. The, the, you understand what's valuable to you. And, and many of you have things that are they're, they're valuable to you. And they might not have any value to somebody else, but they're valuable to you. The Bible says here, the Bible is giving us an explanation of desire. Now, how many of you plan to go to work tomorrow? Or sometime this week? Right? You, you plan to go to work. Why do you do that? So you can have money. Why? So that you can have a place to live, so that you can feed your family, so that you can have clothes to wear, so that you can have a place to live. All all those things. Is that right? You all agree with that? You know, the Bible right here has just said that the Word of God should be desired more than any of that. What What is the Bible giving us here? It's helping us to understand desire and to understand value And then look at what the Bible says, verse 10, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. What are we learning? We're learning what real value is. And listen to this. We're really understanding what is sweet. We're understanding what sweetness really is. It's not Walter Payton. Stepping back in time for that one, aren't I? There's his nickname, young people, Walter Payton. Look him up. All right? (laughs) Now, listen. The Bible is going to tell us what is sweet and what is valuable. The world is going to try and sell us on what is sweet and what is valuable. Which one is going to be more accurate? The Bible. Uh, I was noticing that we all went to, our family went to Cincinnati this week, went and did some shopping, just goofing around. And I was driving down the road, and I saw this Acura RDX, and it was the first one. And the thought that I had was, I used to really like that car. It's looking kind of old now. Now, some cars age well, and they look great as they get. That one just looked old. You know, 57 Chevy still looks great, right? 56 Corvette. Is that what it is, Rich? 56? 57 Corvette still looks good. Other things, they don't age well. You know, how many of you, you just can't wait. You just can't wait to get that 1980 Chevy Cavalier. (laughs) It's my dream car. I had a 76 Chevette. Possibly the worst car ever built. I liked it. It was my first car. It was cool. I liked it. But, man, that thing was just, it was unbelievably bad. I used to tell people I had a vet. (laughs) I just left a shh off the front of it. All right. So the money that I put into that car, that's gone. That's gone. That car was very valuable to me at that point. I know you're thinking, "Why? It was the only car I had. It was valuable to me at that point. You know that Chevette? Somebody gave it to me now. I wouldn't say, "Oh man, this was the car of my youth." So what am I going to do with this? <laughs> do you know what happened? That value, it's not there. It doesn't have intrinsic value. And notice what it's compared to here. Gold. Gold has intrinsic value. The reason we need to engage Scripture is because it is sweeter. And it's more valuable than anything else. We've got to engage it. All right, then look at what the Bible says. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. So I'm warned, warning, warning, warning. Will Robinson, watch out! And then I understand I'm warned about going that way. Again, kids, look that up. All right? <laughs> I'm warned about which way to go, but I understand what is true reward. That comes from Scripture. It comes from Scripture. Now, here's the meat of the message right here, and we'll be done. Verse 12, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Who can understand his errors? Uh, Jacob and I, uh, we, we both took a golf lesson on Friday. And the teacher, this teacher is awesome. He's just fantastic. And so he's, he's telling Jacob, okay, when you take that club back, I want you to get the club over your right shoulder. All right, so Jacob was laying the club off. It was down here. It's hard to hit the golf ball that way. So he was trying to get it up over his right shoulder. So he said, okay, hit a ball. And so Jake hit a ball. And his, Jim Irvin's the teacher. And Jim said, uh, okay, did you do it? Did you do it? I asked. And Jacob said, yes. And the teacher said, not even close. <laughs> Why? Because your mind wants to do one thing, but your body is doing what it's been doing all along. And so he may have been down here with the club. He was up here, but he wasn't where the club was supposed to be yet. Do you know what happens with golf? You've got to have somebody tell you what you're doing. You think you're doing one thing, and you're not. Do we have any golfers here that understand what I'm talking about there? That's what the Bible does. The Bible is the one, when I look at myself, I think I'm doing okay. When I look at how the Bible sees me, that tells me what I'm doing wrong. It it shows me. It shows me. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults, those things that I don't even know that I have. Verse 13, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. What are presumptuous sins? Well, do you remember when Brother Knox preached about the Emmaus Road and those disciples were were discouraged because we thought that he should have delivered us uh, from... You uh, brought back the kingdom or whatever it was that they said. That's not what Jesus had promised them. He had promised them that He was going to rise from the dead. That's presumptuous. But the Bible uses presumptuous in another way. Look at 2 Peter. 2 Peter. And I want you to see this. It's very interesting. Chapter 2 and verse 10. Look at verse 9 for the context. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations... And to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Okay, now what does that despise government? They want to live the way that they want. They don't want to be governed. Look at the way the Bible describes them. Presumptuous are they, self-willed, and are not afraid to speak evil of dignities you know what this is? This is a person who rebelliously walks in the sins of their own lust. And these are the people in the 1960s, the free love people. Remember that? That's this. Today is the people that want to cast off any kind of cultural norms, any kind of right and wrong, any, any type of traditional marriage, any of those things, it all has to go away. Those are presumptuous sins. They're presumptuous sins. It's living in rebellion. So let's go back to the book of Psalms. Keep back thy servant also, verse 13, from presumptuous sins. Look what the Bible says. Let them not have dominion over me. Do you know what happens when you start walking in the lust of your flesh and you say, I'm going to do what I want to do, you become a slave to that. You become a slave. How many of you have met people that can't make a good decision? Right? They can't make a good decision. They get out of one bad relationship right into another bad relationship. They mess up in one job and they mess up in the next job. They mess up in the next job. What's happened? They become presumptuous. I'm going to do what I want to do no matter what anybody tells me, especially God. Do you know what that is? That's slavery. That attitude will have dominion over your life. How are we going to stop that? Engage Scripture. Love the Word of God. Value it. Look what the Scripture says. Verse 13, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. How many of you have known people that have fallen greatly? Yeah. Do you know where that comes from? Presumptuous. I'm going to do what I want to do. You can't tell me what to do. I'm going to make my own decisions. I'm my own man. Look at the last verse. You might have heard this verse before. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. How are the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart going to be acceptable in the sight of God? When I value the law and the testimony and the statutes and the commandment and the fear and the judgments. That's when that's going to happen. How is that going to happen? When we engage scripture. Let me ask you a question again. Everybody look up here at me and we're done. How many of you have engaged scripture in this? Don't raise your hand. How many of you have engaged scripture? I'm not talking about that you read the verse in our daily bread. That you are engaged with scripture. That you are in it. That you are studying it. That you are meditating on it. That you are aligning your life with it. The world's going crazy. Y'all agree with that? How are we going to have an effect if we don't begin by us individually engaging Scripture? It's what we have to do, folks. It's what we have to do. What does the Word of God mean to you? When trouble comes, where do you turn? We have to engage Scripture. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,